Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Like it just, it cracks me up. Because everybody's feeling real confident about that, like, time through the song. And then it's like, like they don't know what to do. So, Matthew chapter number four is where we're going to be. I'm going to get one more big swig of this. How many of you know what a swig is? Like, two of you that grew up in the South? Okay. All right. Matthew chapter number four. Oh, that's cool. Wherever I put my coffee cup, it makes like a little steam spot on the metal. I'm sure there's something scientific about that. But uh, Matthew chapter number four, um, if you have your Bibles. So I wanted to explain real quick uh, what we're kind of trying to do. How many of you were here last Sunday for the 49-minute lesson where we finished out 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5? All right. That was the longest, that was the biggest passage I've ever tried to tackle, but it kept us on schedule, and so I apologize. We are through 1 Thessalonians now. Uh, not that that's always the goal, and actually when I, when I was videoing it, I didn't feel like it was that long. I knew I had a lot of points, and then I got done videoing it. I looked at the time on it. I was like, oh my goodness, I am so sorry that you're gonna have to sit as if a 38 minute lesson with someone live isn't hard enough to listen to a 38 minute lesson with someone on video so you guys probably just fast forwarded it and said like oh yeah we watched it okay um, if you did that's fine uh, I don't that's between you and the Lord okay um, so uh, but we started on Wednesday our Wednesday night Bible study on the Christian mind. And so what we've been trying to do is we introduced that two Wednesdays ago. If you were here on Wednesday night, we did um, the really how to deal with temptation. So we've been walking through a couple different things. And my goal on Sunday is to really give a practical look at someone who dealt with an issue of the mind in Scripture. And so we've been kind of taking it more uh, as uh, more as kind of a theme rather than going verse by verse through something. And so on Wednesday, we talked about how to deal with temptation. And today we're going to talk about the battle of temptation in your mind. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter number four. So basically the goal will be what we talk about on Wednesdays will coincide with what we're going to do on Sundays to give us a little bit more time for discussion on Wednesday nights. And so uh, hopefully that went well on Wednesday night as well. But Matthew chapter number four, I'm going to go ahead and dive right in on battling temptation, battling the temptation in your mind. And so Matthew chapter number four, let's read verse number one and we'll read down through verse number 11. The Bible says this, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give 
his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Let's stop, and I'm sure you've seen this before, but isn't it interesting how well Satan knows the Bible? Isn't it interesting about how well Satan knows the way that humanity works? Um, obviously, this was Jesus, but I want you to notice that in his temptation of Jesus, how deceitful and how really, how much he tries to trick him, how he plays on his emotions, how he says, you know, this is what the Bible says. He says, he says that you, you know that you can do this, so why don't you do it? And so he's going through that. In verse number 7, Jesus said unto him, it is, written against the, or it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse number 8, again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. There's a lot in this passage. I would love to take the time to just really go through all of it word by word with you. But for right now, we're going to focus on battling temptation, the Christian mind. How does the Christian principles of the Word of God change the human mind? And we're going to look at how to battle temptation from Matthew chapter number four, just a practical look at it. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to look into your word, Lord, to be in your house. Lord, I ask you to help us to take your word and, Lord, to apply it to our hearts, apply it to our lives. Lord, help me as I speak. Lord, you know that uh, I am not where I need to be as far as uh, having the strength to speak today. And so, God, I ask that you would uh, please give me the strength. Lord, give me the words to say. Lord, give me clarity of thought. In your name we pray. Amen. When we talk about uh, certain things in the Christian life, there's obviously a lot of biblical principles and things that we can go and look at. One of my favorite things to do, at least for myself personally, is to go and find a story or an illustration of someone who put those biblical principles into practice. We all understand that you can go and you can isolate and find probably a couple different verses throughout Scripture that would apply to how to battle temptation, and I'm going to encourage you to do that by the end of of the lesson. But at the same time, many of the things that we face in the Christian life are simply things that someone else has experienced before us. And so one of the goals of this lesson series that we're going to do on Sunday mornings is for us to go and find people who dealt with this and see how they dealt with different issues. And I don't think there's any better place to start than with this thought of temptation. And I don't think there's any better person for us to study and see how they handled it than Jesus himself. Because when we go and we look at the character of Jesus, when we go and we look at the illustration and the example of Jesus, we understand that he dealt with it perfectly because of who he was. And so today I want us to really draw out four principles of how to battle the temptation in your mind. Now let me go ahead and give a disclaimer for those of you who are sitting in here. When we talk about temptation, obviously our minds run to some of the cultural temptations of the day. We run to maybe some of the things that are on our phone, or we run to maybe some of the things that we see on television, or we run to maybe a certain type of thing that is maybe something to do with our mind. But I want you to notice that none of the temptations that Jesus faced were cultural temptations. They were all temptations that if you drilled down to them, most of them had to do with pride. 
Most of them had to do with himself being seen as something that he could have done. And so for us as human beings, here's what I want you to see. Is it doesn't matter what the temptation is, most of the time you can drill it down to pride. Whether it be greed, whether it be lust, whether it be maybe sexual immorality, whether it be whatever you name, okay? Whatever your temptation is, most of those can be drilled down to pride. The Bible teaches us that only by pride cometh contention, meaning this, that if there's contention in your life, there's pride somewhere. And so when we talk about temptation, don't just think, well, I don't have a temptation, like I'm not dealing with these big things, I'm not dealing with this, I'm not dealing with what I look at on my phone, I'm not dealing with what I watch on my TV, so therefore I have no temptations. We all face temptation and it will be different for everyone, but the root is still going to be pride. And so what Jesus does a great job of squelching and squashing in this verse is not just the temptation, but the temptation to fall into the trap of pride. Because I can do this, I will do this. And so I want you to look at four thoughts, really, or four principles of how to battle through temptation, the temptation of the mind. First of all is this. Recognize when and where the temptation occurs. I'm going to refer back to Wednesday night's lessons. If you, uh, if you missed that, uh, we'll have it up on YouTube here pretty soon uh, once I get some time back in the office. But recognize when and where the temptation occurs. I want you to notice this in verse number one. He says, Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Your temptation most likely will be the result of isolation and then it will be also be the result of weakness. Satan found a way to prey on Jesus at his weakest time and at his loneliest time. And if you look at the temptations of your life, if you look at the sinful practice or sinful habits that are in your life, most of those can be drilled down to loneliness or maybe a lack of accountability, if you even want to say that, isolation, if you want to say that, and simple weakness, meaning this, that you've convinced yourself that it's okay because you're not strong enough to face it. And I want to refer you back to what we talked about on Wednesday night, and I'm not going to take the time to take us to the passage because I don't think we have the time to go through it, okay? But 1 Corinthians chapter number, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter number 13 talks to us about how to handle temptation. And it says that God will not give you that which you cannot sustain or, or bear. And he says, every man is tempted and then when he talks about it, he says, God is faithful. The faithfulness of God doesn't change in the midst of your temptation. But here's what I want you to see. You are able to bear it. You are able to overcome it. And you are able to experience victory in it. And temptation is something that sometimes I think that our flesh is just so weak that we cannot even stand it. So we just give into it. Well, who's going to, who's it going to hurt? Who's it going to, who's it going to change? Is that, if I am the only one who it bothers, then I guess that's okay. Jesus had a chance to give into that. But he recognized when and where it was happening. And he recognized the isolation and the loneliness and maybe the, the weakness that he was experiencing. And so he chose not to give into it. So here's what I would encourage you to do. When you are faced with temptation, and especially a reoccurring temptation, find a way to say this is when and where that happens. And then don't let yourself get to that point again.
If you say, okay, I know that I'm at my weakest when I'm sitting in my uh, apartment on my phone at 12.30 and, no, and I've had a long day and this is, okay, I'm going to isolate that spot and I'm gonna say, I'm not gonna let myself get there. I'm gonna leave my phone in the kitchen. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna protect myself because I know that this is when and where that happens. So recognize the when and the where of temptation, but then notice secondly, recognize the lie of the temptation. Recognize the lie of the temptation. I want you to notice that three times in this passage, Satan just outright lies to Jesus. In the first one, he says that he, uh, he says, and verse number three, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. The lie in this was that he says, if you are who you say you are, then I want you to do what you, what you can do. And many times the lie that comes, that accompanies temptation is this. If you're as good as what you think you are, then you should do this. If you're, as, uh, if you're as big of a big shot as, as who you think you are, then you should be able to do this. Or if you are as tired as what you say you are, man, God understands. If you ha no one understands the long day that you've had, go ahead, indulge yourself. I saw something the other day that said, um, me, and it has like one of those little colons, who hardly, uh, who hardly denies myself anything. And it says, me finding something that I want. Oh, you need to treat yourself, okay? It's like, we don't really deny ourselves, but we can find good excuses for, oh yeah, I'm going to treat myself. Like, you haven't denied yourself anything in the past week, so why are you going to deny yourself this? And the same is true with sin. Many times for us, what we do is we find an excuse to say, well, it's okay. I'm going to go ahead and indulge in this because I've had a long day, because I'm, I, I'm stressed about this, because I'm struggling with this, because I don't know about this, because no one will know. And we find these excuses to basically say, I'm going to go ahead and indulge myself. I'm going to treat myself to this sin when all we simply have to do is recognize the when and where. And we have to recognize that ultimately what we are indulging in is a lie. Very few of us, if we were honest about sin, whether it's a reoccurring sin in our life or whether it's something that maybe is a one-time sin, maybe it's something that we fell into or okay, whatever, okay? Many of us, if we were honest and someone walked up to us with a microphone after we fell into some sort of sin and said, was it worth it? If we were honest, most of us would have to say no, wouldn't we? Why? Because there's only pleasure in sin for a season. And like what we talked about on Wednesday night, suffering with God is better than the pleasure of sin. Hebrews chapter number 11 teaches us that when it gives us that look at Moses. So recognize the lie of sin, which means this. When you are faced with a temptation, I want you to take the time to ask yourself, if I give in to this temptation, once again, no matter what it is, is it going to be what I think it is going to be or is it a lie? Is it going to be what I think that it's going to be, or is it a lie? So recognize the lie of temptation, and then thirdly is this, recognize the truth against the temptation. The only way that you can overcome a lie is with the truth, right? Someone says two plus two equals five. What's the only way to overcome that? What's the only way to defeat that? Do you just say, oh, you're stupid? I mean, in that scenario, that might be the best way to handle it, okay? 
But the best way to do it is to pull four things out of your pocket and say, okay, if I have two and I have another two, and I put them together, how much is that? One, two, three, four. The only way you overcome a lie is with the truth. At some point, a lie must be confronted with truth if the lie is going to diminish. And sin, when it becomes a habit, is you believing a lie continually, which means this. The best way to confront your temptation or to confront your sin is with the truth, meaning this, that it is your job as a Christian and as a child of God to say, I know the temptation that I'm giving into, whatever it may be. I know that that is a lie. So now I'm going to go and I'm going to go and find the truth of God's word to apply to this lie. If I believe that this is actually false, and I believe that this is untrue, and I believe that this is a false narrative, then it takes the truth of the Word of God for me to say, okay, this is what I'm going to replace it with. I can't just keep on saying, well, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. You're going to keep giving in to it. But when you recognize that the lie is confronted with the truth and you find the truth to apply to the lie, then you can be able to escape it, as Scripture says in, uh, in James chapter number 2. And then lastly is this. Not only recognize the truth and recognize the, or recognize the lie, recognize the truth, but lastly is this. Recognize the consequences or the victory. How many of you have ever heard of someone saying when they make a big decision that they make a pros and cons list? You ever heard of someone talking about that? Okay, like they draw out the little little cross and they put pros and then you put all the little positives out of it and then you put all the cons and all the negatives, okay? Do you realize what was at stake in Matthew chapter number four when Jesus was being tempted? Do you realize that if we get to Matthew four and Jesus gives in to temptation, crucifixion doesn't matter because we now have an unholy sacrifice do you realize that if Matthew chapter number 4 goes a different direction you now no longer have a pure and spotless lamb to die for your sins and sometimes we're really good at finding consequences when they come into our life and not very good at giving ourselves a preview of the consequences before they come into our life. I want to repeat that because I think it, it's important. Sometimes we're really good at recognizing the consequences after they come into our life and not very good at giving ourselves a preview of them before they come into our life. Meaning this, we all hate the consequences of sin when we're living them out, don't we? Like, oh man, I, w I wish I could go back and change that. Well, duh. Okay? But you can't. At some point, you have to recognize the consequences ahead of time. And this is the beauty of the Christian life, and I want you to listen to this, okay? The beauty of the Christian life is not that sin just has consequences, so avoid it and avoid the consequences. But the beauty of the Christian life is that God does not just give us a faith to where do wrong, bad things happen. He gives us a faith to where when we choose to follow and obey Him and we live our lives in the glory of His goodness, we get something far better than just a life that is void of consequences. 
And sometimes what we tend to do as Christians is we tend to take this book and we look at it and we say, okay, sin has consequences. I'm a smart enough person to say I want to avoid the consequences. And so we tiptoe through life. Okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. When here's what God ultimately offers when we choose to follow Him. God offers a pure and clean path that is completely void of consequences. Meaning this, that when we choose to follow God, we are on a path to where we don't even have to pay attention to it. Because we're so enthralled with God and His goodness and His love and His holiness and His righteousness. Now we are following God. And guess what? When we misstep, we now can see this path compared to this path is completely different. And at some point, what you have to do to overcome sin is not just recognize the consequences. You can discipline your way out of the consequences, can't you? I'm not going to partake in this sin because I don't like the consequences, and so I'm going to just step back. But what if there was a replacement for that? What if rather than just saying, I'm going to get the pleasure from sin for a short little while, that now I can step back and I'm not just going to avoid the pleasure, I'm now going to indulge myself in Jesus Christ and His way and His word and obeying Him so that now my pleasure does not come from sin, my pleasure comes from Jesus Christ and following Him and the joy and the happiness and the contentment that I receive from His hand. And when we talked about Hebrews 11 on Wednesday night, that's what Hebrews 11 is. The Bible says this about Moses. He says that he, he chose to suffer with the people of Israel and suffer with God rather than indulge himself in the pleasure of sin. That is completely foreign to the way that we live our lives, isn't it? If we have a choice between suffering and pleasure, we're choosing pleasure every single time. That's the way the human brain works. But Scripture teaches us something that is so contradictory to that. That suffering with God is better than the pleasure of sin. Meaning this, that at some point, here's what victory looks like. I'm either going to choose the consequences, or I, if you even want to say this, the suffering with uh, following God rather than the consequences or the suffering that comes from sin. You've really got your choice. You're never going to be able to avoid suffering. You're never going to be able to avoid hurt. You're never going to be able to avoid pain. But you can choose who it comes from. And you either will choose the suffering and the consequences and the pain of sin, or you'll choose the suffering and the pain and the consequences of following God. So let me ask you this, who do you trust more? Who or what do you trust more? Do you trust yourself to give yourself a life that is free of pleasure and pain and suffering and consequences more than you trust a loving, holy God to give you a life that is free from those things. Because here's what you have to come to grips with. Is that when you choose to suffer the consequences of sin, you suffer those consequences on your own. But when you choose to suffer because you have followed the steps of God, and the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, you suffer that along with your Savior.
You suffer those trials and those hard times with God. And for many of us, let me just boil this thing that we've been talking about, uh, about temptation down to maybe the very bottom shelf for you. At some point, temptation boils down to this. Do I want to spend my time with God or do I want to spend my time with sin? And Jesus Christ came and he bled on a cross and lived a perfect, defeated temptation according to Matthew chapter number 4. So that you could spend your time with God. So that you could spend your life with Him. And when you fall into this trap of temptation and you believe the lie that Satan is giving you, here's what you're saying. God, I love my sin more than I love my time with you. God, I love my sin more than I love the relationship that you and I have. But here's the beauty of it. When you kick sin to the curb, when you kick those sinful habits to the curb, you're not just avoiding the consequences. You are giving yourself the opportunity to fully indulge yourself in the relationship that you can have with God. And I can promise you this, that I have never met anyone who says, I would trade what I have with God for the relationship that I had with sin. You're never going to regret that. And so why not begin now establishing in your Christian life the opportunity to battle temptation by recognizing when and where it occurs, by recognizing the lie, recognizing the truth, and then recognizing the victory or the consequences, what either one of those look like. Let's pray, and we'll ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.